All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another brand new Boca podcast episode. And uh, by the way, welcome back. It has been, I think, well over a month at this point. We, we took a little bit of a break. We, we had a holiday, um, had some interviews moved around. Nonetheless, we've been off air for a few weeks and uh, it's nice to be back. It's actually nice to have a reset and then come back fresh. And we've got a really great conversation for you ahead here on the Boca podcast today. We'll get there in just a second, and I'm going to introduce our brand new guests uh, along with that. But before we get started, just a couple of housekeeping notes. If you are streaming live with us right now on YouTube, youtube.com slash Boca Podcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Boca Podcast, uh, please join in the conversation. The whole benefit, really, of the live stream is that you can join the conversation. So as I'm interviewing Catherine today, if you have questions about some of the things that she's saying, don't be shy. Pop those questions and comments into the chat or into the comment window there, and we'd love to answer those questions best we can for you all along the way. So don't be shy. Be part of the conversation. Let's make this a group conversation. And um, for those of you that are listening to this on the audio side, after the fact, we do live stream every single one of the Boca Podcast interviews. Again, youtube.com slash Boca Podcast, facebook.com slash Boca Podcast. And uh, so make sure that you go over and subscribe, turn on notifications, and join us for these conversations live if you can. And then one other quick note before I introduce our guest for today. Um, I've been doing this now for a number of months, but I just want to encourage everybody to look for opportunities to give back. I made my donation, as I promised I would, to Charity Water before our show today. Pop up the receipt there on the screen. You can see it. Uh, but I just take this as an opportunity to encourage you to do something that one of our guests, Sean Lee, a number of months ago did for me, which is to encourage me to look for opportunities to give. Uh, whether it's a local community or ultimately, in this case, to a national or international organization. A little bit of money can go a long, a long ways, and um, I just think we should all look for opportunities such as that. So just want to encourage you with that. Enough of the, uh, the introductory monologue for me today. I want to go ahead and introduce our guest. Catherine Gidry is here with me today. Catherine, thank you so much for coming to hang out with me. I really appreciate you making time for all of us. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. And I think that's really great that you're doing the donation and encouraging others to do that. Nathan, that's really neat. Oh, well, that's that's super generous of you to say. And, and I mean, if I'm being honest, I feel like I should have done a lot more a long time ago. Um, but you kind of live and learn, right? And um, yeah. I just feel like there's a lot of opportunity there to, to give. Sean Lee, I don't know if you know Sean. Sean's a, a photographer based out of uh, Detroit, Michigan. And uh, if you ever get a chance, just do a search on the Boca Podcast website for Sean Lee. Uh, the, the inspiration and encouragement that he brought in this regard was just is amazing. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunity mm. to continue to work with Sean. What he's doing with the local community um, in Detroit is just it's incredible. And I don't even know how he has the time to do it, like run a photography business and <laughs> give constantly, but it's really inspiring. So he's definitely inspired me to do that. And that's, that's what's led to this. But thank you. Speaking of giving, thanks for giving of your time today to come share with us here on the podcast. You and I touched base at a conference not too long ago. And, um, and I said, let's, let's do a podcast. Can we do a podcast? And you were very gracious immediately to say, yeah, yeah, sure. And um, so we've made this happen today and worked through a couple of technical issues. I don't know if you noticed, but it's super dark here. It, the, the weather is terrible outside. And I've got mm. a ring light to the side and another one right here. And it still looks like I'm talking at midnight <laughs> or something. But um, <laughs> we've worked through all of that. And we're going to have some really good conversation. Yeah. Refresh me again. Where are you based? I'm in Chattanooga, uh, Tennessee. So oh, okay. About two hours from Nashville, about two hours from Atlanta. How about yourself? Kind of let our listeners know where you're chiming in from. 
Yeah, so I'm in New Orleans, and um, weather-wise right now, it feels like midsummer. <laughs> oh, really? Is it <laughs> and that it's warm? December. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh. it's pretty warm. I dressed my little girl in like a sleeveless attire today. I was like, well, I guess we're dressing like summer today. Uh, so yeah, I, I understand. Sometimes the weather's kind of off even in the winter months. It's like, what's happening? Yeah. Well, it's such a first world problem, but I don't know about you. My weather really throws me for a loop sometimes. And like when it's kind of cloudy and gray outside, it just like it changes the whole mood. When I wake up and yeah. it's sunny and and warm as ideal but at least sunny I, it's just like it starts my whole day differently I, I swear I'm going to move somewhere even more sunny at some point in my <laughs> life but um, for the time being this, yeah. this is doing the work for me yeah no I completely agree I mean especially as a photographer the weather is so important to what we do I always say if I was like you know California photographer I'd be so happy all the time because I'm constantly dealing with like rain or hurricane or whatever the case may be and so uh yeah I can completely agree with that sentiment of the weather affecting you know my mood <laughs> yeah no I'm so glad you bring that up actually because this is something I've it's kind of been a theory I've had for some time and I was just we were meeting with um some local friends local now some friends of ours Josh Newton and his wife JJ um have moved to Chattanooga but they moved from Santa Barbara and I started mm. making trips to Santa Barbara okay. as a photographer back in 2005 and I had that very theory I'm like this weather is so amazing all the time. It's no wonder everybody talks about Californians being so laid back and chill and, you know, that kind of surfer, that stereotype of the surfer dude in California. <laughs> I'm like, no wonder they've got incredible weather all the time. Anyway, I don't want to be yeah, too cliche yeah. to talk about weather our whole episode, but um, <laughs> it's okay. we, we, we played to that for a little bit nonetheless. But I do want to use this as an opportunity to introduce you. You talked about being based in New Orleans. Let's go ahead and jump right into the first question. Uh, this is normally the first question here on the podcast. And that is about brand position. So talk to us about mm -hmm. what sets your photography business apart there in that marketplace. What is your business's brand position? Mm -hmm. um, I think that for me, it's kind of a two-part thing. Uh, stylistically, I feel like I find I fall more into the fine art category. I shoot a mix of film and digital. Um, I like really timeless, classic, light, airy images with, you know, a twist of modern. Um, my background's in architecture, so that plays a lot into my imagery. But I think what sets me apart is probably more of like the business side. I think I'm a really um, strong businesswoman. I feel like I always take notes when I'm the consumer and I'm like, parlaying that into my business side. And so I try to always be like really organized with my clients, keep prompt responses and just never feel like any task is too small for me. Um, I just want to always be available to them and create like a really great customer service experience sure. and just let them know that I'm there in whatever way I can be. Well, and, and I have to go ahead and pull up your website here as we're talking too. So for anybody who is not watching live, I'll try to describe this best I can, but we're looking at Catherine, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, Guidry, G-U-I-D-R-Y.com, CatherineGidry.com. Of course, we'll link to this in the show notes at BocaPodcast.com. But Catherine, I have to say, I mean, I, I look at a lot of photographers' websites, have actually for two decades now, and I, I do love, you talked about the classic nature of your work. And um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. Some people kind of say that and, and it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. I, I immediately get that that feeling, that experience when I land on your website here. It's it's super, super clean, not distracting with a, too much text. And immediately my eyes are drawn to this very clean, classic imagery that your website is naturally kind of scrolling through. I scroll down further, uh, further down the page. Again, very clean, uh, 
classic look and feel to the website. So you're definitely backing up what you say with the look and feel of that website. And I have to give you props too for that. I'll also mention for our listeners, uh, you can find Catherine on Instagram and I'll pop this up really quick on the screen at Catherine Guidry, same spelling. Of course, we'll link to that in the show notes at bocopodcast.com. Again, very consistent, very clean and classic look and feel there. And, you know, I, there's something to be said for that. I was actually talking to my girlfriend about this um, just this week, I guess. Uh, Jill, who actually also produces the podcast. And and I was saying, you know, there, there's something about uh, that, that I found about the the way. And when I look back to the way that I was brought up, that that kind of traditional, you know, people refer to a lot of different things as traditional, I guess, these days. But there's something that's comfortable mm-hmm. and familiar about going back to the traditional. And I love when, when we talk about clean classic photography that you're demonstrating so beautifully here, there is something familiar about it. And what's cool is it, it will tend to stand the test of time, despite all the trends mm-hmm. and whatever is hype in the moment. Um, we can go back to something like this. Your work is truly beautiful in that regard. Thank you so much. It's something that I think just kind of came naturally. I think that photography, just like any art, is such a reflection of who you are as a person and what you value. And I really do want that for my clients. I want them, you know, this is my 12th year in business and I want to continue doing this for as long as I'm here on the earth. And I want my clients to always be able to enjoy their images and not feel like when they look at them that, oh gosh, like why did she tilt the lens? Why did she use weird, you know, for her picture? So I do want them to feel like the images stand the test of time and that I'm focusing on them as people and their story, their memories. I had a really interesting conversation with a friend recently. um, And it kind of sparked a conversation between my husband and I about what the art that we're doing means. And I think that Um, So, you know, he's more into destination weddings, like he wants to really travel and shoot all over. And I was telling Brad, I said, honestly, for me, I just want to be where the people are and they're everywhere. They're here. They're where you are. Mm. It doesn't matter to me. I don't I don't need to be shooting in Italy like I can shoot a wedding in my backyard and create images that mean something. Um, You know, we had a client lose someone very close to them Mm. this past week I saw the mother-in-law and she was just basically in tears saying you know thank you so much he doesn't like to have his portrait taken and these were some of the last images that we have of him and that's really for me the art is being able to create images of people and their stories so thank you for saying that means a lot oh absolutely well it's it's very visible there in your work um that not only your attention to the people, because it's, you know, that's largely what enables us to get beautiful images, imagery is that connection to people. Occasionally we get the, the model couple that's easy to photograph, mm-hmm. no, you know, regardless what we do, it's just a beautiful picture. Um, but <laughs> yeah. we, we can only do that so many times, right? We can only get that lucky so many times. Ultimately, it does take the photographer certainly being good with the camera, but ultimately being in touch with their own emotions, enabling them to be able to engage effectively with the clients in front of them. And um, that mm-hmm. desire to connect with people comes through in your work. And this is a beautiful segue, actually, to my next question, which has to do with customer experience. And this mm-hmm. is one that we touch on a lot. I know it almost it may almost seem cliche in, in, in many ways, but the reality is that especially, actually, even in 2021, because of the technology that continues to make, quote unquote, professional photography a lot easier, one of the things that enables us to set ourselves apart from anybody with a camera is the experience that we create. So I'm curious what you're doing to create Mm -hmm. a really great customer experience for your clients. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a great question. Cause you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think 
if ever I have fear that our business is going to go out when technology gets better, I'm just assured by the fact that um, technology can't create an environment. It can't create an experience or a feeling. And so my goal whenever I'm working with people is to make them feel comfortable. Um, I feel like I'm a real big empath. I just feel whatever the people around me are feeling. And so I think that really works well when I'm doing photography that I can understand if there's someone who, you know, maybe the groom's uh, have has a little pride about him and he needs a little more flattery or maybe they're really <laughs> shy and they don't feel confident. You know, I can offer words of encouragement or maybe they're fun and they just like want an upbeat, energetic like space and I can vibe with that. I can be fun. I can make jokes. I can be inappropriate. Like whatever <laughs> I need to be, I yeah. can do that. And I sure. think that that really works well with photography because mm. you want people to feel comfortable. Mm. And then when they feel comfortable, they can be their true self. And then also I think it's, you know, being able to translate in words and in actions like how to move if you're posing someone a lot of what we do is capturing things candidly but when it comes to posing I think that's also uncomfortable and so it's really important like to be able to communicate that and be specific like you know what are you doing with your hands is your head in the right position and also just communicating about what's important to them or what makes them feel uncomfortable. People have a lot of insecurities around photography. Like maybe they don't like their arms, you know, yep. the size. I hear that a lot. Or maybe mm -hmm. they don't like their profile. And so it's like understanding and knowing those things so that you can just, again, create like a really safe space for them. Yeah. And, you know, this idea of an empath is very interesting. It's a topic in and of itself. Uh, but w when I think about what you're describing, which is that ability to be able to... A lot of people talk about this as a negative concept, but the ability to be a chameleon, right? Now, it, it's mm -hmm. one thing if we kind of lose uh, individuality in that process, but it's another thing, I think, if we're able to, if we're secure and confident in who we are, at least at a base level with our values and what it is that we want out of life, mm -hmm. the ability to be able to play to the moment, um, I think, is a strength. And that kind of empathy where we're, and, and awareness, by the way, not only self-awareness, but awareness of others that we know how they are thinking, they're behaving what they need in that moment. I think that actually makes us better as, in, in interpersonal relationships. That I also think it enables us to be better as business owners engaging with clients. So I'm glad that you you speak to that. And I'm curious, actually, just to kind of dig into this a little bit more. Do you would you consider yourself an introvert, an extrovert, a combination of both? Like, has that ever played a role in your ability to engage with clients that way? I definitely think if you asked anyone outside of my husband and my very close friends, they would say I'm an extrovert. Okay. But um, I definitely, uh, I think like inside I'm an introvert because yeah. I just like feel most safe when I'm with my husband or my good friends. I feel like, you know, most myself. I guess everyone might feel that way, but um, I definitely can have a good time. I'm not someone who needs to like have a cocktail to engage with people. I'm not shy by any stretch of the imagination. And so I think, you know, I would probably be more on the extroverted side, okay. like for my daily life, but I think inside I'm kind of an introvert. Yeah. And, and I think that kind of highlights the reality, which is that as much as people are obsessed about putting themselves in a little box and labeling themselves as this thing or that, we have the ability to, to make adjustments and to morph even with the situation if needed. Mm -hmm. 
um, and learn to be a little bit flexible in the moment. I, I think that's, a, <laughs> yeah. again, it's a really loaded topic and we don't have time to dig into it fully today, but I think it's fascinating. The human psychology, especially as it relates to r running a photography business is very interesting to me. Um, I'm glad that we got together. It's for a so second. psychological. Yeah, yeah oh, it is. So. It's, it is such a personal industry. I mean, we are in moments that they're so intimate. Like I've seen sisters like sharing tears over their mother that they lost. Um, you know, a, a mom and her daughter over a dad that passed recently or even after the wedding, just it's like we, we really are let into their circle, into their world for this point of time. And it's, sometimes just you in the room with them. And so I don't even know if the clients really realize on the front end, like how intimate this job is. Um, I always say like, you're going to spend more time with me than anyone else, maybe even your significant other on the wedding day, because I'm just there all the time. That's true. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really special. Like I just have so many memories of couples, like when right after they exit, they're in the room and just sobbing over how, relieved and excited and just overwhelmed with emotion that they are. And I'm there in the room, right? It's so crazy. It's an honor. It really is an honor. And, and yet again, highlights the importance of our ability as individuals, as humans to be empathetic, to be sensitive, to be aware and kind of push past this idea that we are fill in the blank um, and, and learn how to engage with the individual or the individuals mm -hmm. in the moment based on that that particular scenario the context of that scenario i think it's important to, to to learn a little bit about how to morph into those situations but we'll keep going Absolutely. we'll keep going I, I would love to park there and just kind of explore that a little bit more but no by the way let's for everybody go, listening let's go. In, we're going to actually get into our kind of our primary topic today a little in just a few minutes we're going to be talking about a practical guide to pricing which i think is mm -hmm. really in some ways an under discussed topic in our industry so i'm excited to get to that too a few more questions kind of shorter questions for you though when we talk about um, time management, which is really one of the primary topics here on, on the podcast. We're helping photographers build sustainable businesses. And part of what enables us to build sustainable businesses is to more proactively manage our time, more intentionally manage our time so that we, we don't get burnt out in the process of building our mm -hmm. businesses. So I'm curious if there's there mm -hmm. an idea or two that drives your ability to manage your time more effectively, especially in light of having a family as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think interestingly enough, time management and pricing kind of go one, you know, hand in hand because what we're pricing ourselves around is how much time and how we're running our business. So the more efficient you are in your business, the more money that you're making because your hourly rate is going to go up if you're spending less time doing that. And I know you know that because mm -hmm. people are outsourcing editing to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, for me, um, I feel like I have created that balance between work and life uh, by setting boundaries, just understanding what type of lifestyle that I want and what type of schedule that I want, and then creating a framework around that. So, you know, charging fees to shoot on the weekends, scheduling meetings during business hours. Um, those are just a few examples. And then I think the other thing would be using systems and programs that really make things efficient. Like I'm fully integrated into Dubsado to manage my clients. I have my website on Show It. Um, and the third one, I guess, would be like image hosting. That really helps to because you can automate product creation. So just yeah. having like really good. And if anyone wants to know, I actually have all of the programs that I use on uh, my website with like 
you know, affiliate links. So sometimes there's a discount code, but uh, that's at Cat G Resources. So if anyone wants, and I'm happy to talk more about that with anyone individually, but I, I really am a firm believer in like creating a framework that helps you have more freedom in your life. Cause that, like I said, it, it impacts your profitability. Well, and, and I'm going to actually kind of show on the site where to go for anybody who may be streaming live now. And for those of actually who are just listening to the audio version, if you go to katherinegidry.com, um, there's a section called education. Just click on that and down to resources and mm -hmm. it'll take you there to the resources page. So um, make sure that you you do that. Take advantage of that that resource. Mm -hmm. And I, hey, man, you, you touched on so many different things. We could actually create whole individual episodes, <laughs> podcast no. episodes out of. But um, I, I want to you mentioned delegation and, and this is really important. I mean, the significance of intentionality with time, especially considering how that relates to what we are charging and ultimately what we're making at the end of the day. Mm -hmm outsourcing delegation and by the way not just with editing any number of you know we could talk about email management certainly editing album design accounting and the list goes on have you mm. experimented with delegation in your business how has that benefited your yes. company oh my gosh yes absolutely um i mean from the outset it looks like i'm a one woman show but it's very deep in like the programs the softwares yes i mean there are so many systems that are in place to help me run an efficient business and allow me to do only the things that I need to do. I need to be corresponding with clients. I need to be showing up and shooting and I need to be available to meet with them um, or speak with them over the phone. Outside of that, I can get help, you know, that whether that's a software, a VA, um, and I've tried all different avenues of that over the past 10, 12 years. But yes, absolutely. I'm a firm believer in, in getting help where needed and not just in the business, outside of the business, in your personal life. Um, you know, don't overstretch yourself financially, but if you can afford that and then over time start to build in those systems so that eventually your hourly is able to afford those things and then you can focus on what you need to do in the business. Yeah, it, it this fascinates me. And I think I brought this up on the podcast a little while back. Somebody, oh, I, I was listening to an interview of Elon Musk. And as controversial mm -hmm. as, as he is uh, at times, the reality is he's created and is continuing to create some really incredible things in, in our culture, our world, our international culture, mm -hmm. right? And somebody asked him, they were like, how do you have time to do all the things that you do? And it, it was fascinating to me on a couple of different levels. One, his response made no mention of all the people, his team that ultimately enable it, um, which maybe is not altogether surprising, but, but then even the fact that the person who was interviewing him, um, would not think about that. It was also interesting to me. The reality is that, that mm -hmm. most business owners can't do what they do without a team, whether that's a, you know, mm -hmm. a, a team with an outside company, um, a contract worker, somebody that they, an in-house assistant, whatever it might be, the reality is that mm -hmm. we're able to do what we do because of the people around us virtually or otherwise. And um, mm -hmm. it's really important to note. So there are opportunities, especially for those, when we talk about building a sustainable business or feeling burnt out, you could literally Google search everything that you do in a day and almost everything you could either find software to help you do or a service that will help you do. I think it's really interesting, don't you? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. There's so many... I mean, even just from when I started my business in 08 to now, the softwares are better, they're cheaper, um, and they're just more available. There's more options to choose from. Like even my client management system, I, the one I started in isn't the one I'm in today, and like the one I'm in today is better and it's less expensive. So, I mean, yeah, the options are definitely out there. 
Well, I would certainly encourage anybody who, especially those who are feeling a bit stressed out right now and certainly are wanting to maximize profit, do just that. It's really interesting. If you literally list out everything that you do in a day, personally and professionally, as Catherine highlighted, um, and then go in and Google search each of those things, you can literally find a service and or a piece of software that'll help you get that thing done more efficiently. So um, take advantage of something mm -hmm. like that. Very last two quick questions, Catherine, before we dig into okay. pricing. Um, and we'll yeah. make these quick. First of all, a book recommendation from you, either self-help or business or combination of both. Is there something that comes to mind? Yeah. Um, I think from a personal perspective, I love the book Boundaries. I am a huge people pleaser. And uh, sometimes to my like, I can't, it's like a negative thing. Um, and so that book really helped me. And then it helped me ended up, it ended up helping me in business too. So boundaries, number one. And then Is that the one uh, by I also John really love, I, I just pulled it up here on Amazon. <sighs> Do you remember offhand? I don't remember the author, but I read it years ago, like almost 10 years ago. And to this day, it's helped me not only set boundaries in my personal life and my business, but also sure. accept when other people set boundaries. Because when you're not setting boundaries for yourself, then you're mad when other people tell you no, right? Because <laughs> you're like, wait, I say yes to everyone. Why would you tell me no? But when you start setting boundaries for yourself, when someone tells you no, you're like, oh, I get that. Because they're just setting boundaries healthy boundaries. Um, and then also the book E-Myth, which is mm. really great. It basically just kind of tells you, to your point about d dividing up and conquering like how you work in your business. It just, you can't just be the technician. You can't just be the person working in the business. You have to be the visionary too, the person who oversees things. Like you have to kind of divide yourself up into parts. And so that book's really great for entrepreneurs. Yeah, E-Myth. And I think the more recent version is called the E-Myth Revisited. Uh, this was a super impactful mm. book when I read it. Uh, and, and it's it's fascinating because I think a lot of times as and I've got it up in here uh, on, on screen for anybody who is watching the live stream. We'll link to both of these books in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. But Catherine, I think it's easy as individual business owners, as sole proprietors, when we get started in photography to, um, again, just kind of assume maybe intentionally or otherwise that we're just uh, I, um, like a one one man or woman woman show. And mm -hmm. if we feel overwhelmed, we're, we're stuck there. The idea of scale, like the word scale, isn't really considered. The idea of building a sustainable business, not really part of our vocabulary. We're just trying to make things work. And I get that because mm -hmm. I was certainly there. But at the end of the day, if we want to build a business that enables us to also have a life beyond work, mm -hmm. uh, beyond that laptop or that desktop, then we have to be thinking about some of these principles that enable us to do that. And Emeth is a brilliant book for that. So yeah, highly recommend it. Yes. Um, so we'll link mm -hmm. to both of those in the show notes. And uh, I appreciate, by the way, those who are listening in, feel free to engage in the conversation. Devin and Allison said, I'm emailing you guys for editing today. Thank you guys so much. That's really awesome. <laughs> and I appreciate, appreciate the shout out. Um, yeah. And for anybody else who is listening, is curious about editing, just go check out photographersedit.com. little shameless plug there. Um, and we'll certainly <laughs> help you with your editing. All right. So one more question for you, Catherine. Um, favorite mm -hmm. piece of gear in your camera bag these days? What what pops into your head? Yeah. So that would be my uh, Nikkor Z 51.2. It's part of the new Nikon mirrorless series. And I love it. Um, I had the 1.8, have the 1.8, but I actually haven't used it since I bought the 1.2. So it's a really beautiful, fast, sharp, great in low light lens. It's amazing. So I'm pulling this up on screen as well. What is it specifically about this lens? Because I know Nikon has a number of 50 millimeter lens. It's been one of my favorite mm -hmm. over the years as well. What is it specifically about this lens that you love? 
Um, I love the focal length for one because it's really close to the Zeiss 80, mm. um, the, the, the film lens, which up until I bought the 50, I was doing a lot of like putting that lens on my digital body with a filter uh, and manually focusing. And it's okay. beautiful. I mean, it's a gorgeous lens, but it's slow. I mean, I'm manually focusing with movement and all of this. And so with the, with the Z lens, it's like fast, pretty. I mean, it's expensive. It's probably about, I think, five times or so the price of the 1.8. And you would think like, oh, it's just two stops different. But it's more than that. It's the bokeh. It's the uh, the speed. It's ability to shoot in low light. I mean, Brad, when he started shooting with it on the Z6, he was, well, we use the Z6 too, actually, to be specific. But when he started shooting with it, he was like, oh my gosh, Kat, like, no wonder you don't take this lens off of your camera. I mean, it's big, but it's beautiful. Yeah, no, I totally get that. It it, it really is. It's, it's funny. In, in some cases, not all, but in some cases, you definitely get what you pay for. And, and I, I know that I've had one or two in, or experiences personally as a photographer. I shot weddings for 10 years, shot Nikon that whole time. And there were at least one or two instances where I put a certain lens on and the, the results that I was getting were just tangibly more impactful mm-hmm. than another lens. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, it's exciting to see that, you know, I, and it's been a little while since I've nerded out in that way, but I totally get where you're coming yeah. from. So I, I <laughs> appreciate that. We're going to, and by the way, for anybody listening in, um, who listens in regularly knows that we haven't talked a lot about camera gear in a little while. I wanted to incorporate that back into the conversation. So we're going to move in that direction a little bit more. Uh, as we go along. But but Catherine, today I, I want to jump to our main focus, which is this conversation around pricing. And mm-hmm. I, one of the reasons that I mentioned that it's under discussed in the industry is I don't, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it at conferences or otherwise, number one. Mm-hmm. And two, I know that it's, it's still, I think, a source of stress and maybe even fear for photographers, mm-hmm. certainly a, a source of confusion. What was your, I just want to kind of give context to this conversation before you give us your expert advice. What was your kind of early experience with pricing? Did you have that similar fear and that <laughs> confusion? What what did it look like for you? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, when I started my business, I was coming from having architecture. And so business wasn't really like a thing that I knew anything about. And so my sort of journey into pricing was a lot of trial and error Um, To your point, there's just not a lot of people talking about pricing for a multitude of reasons, uh, for the same reasons that I didn't want to talk about pricing initially. I think I just, you know, was a little bit nervous about, you know, everyone's got different strategies or maybe people will disagree or like, I don't know, how are my clients going to feel about me talking about pricing? I don't know. I just had a lot of reservations about it. But Mm. ultimately, I feel like there are a lot of photographers struggling. I do a lot of one-on-one mentoring and it's like, that is the reoccurring theme. Like people struggle with pricing and pricing, it impacts so many aspects of your business. Um, I mean, we can kind of get into that a little bit more later on in the podcast, but I just think that pricing is extremely important, but yes, very, very, uh, not not talked about enough. And so, yeah, for me, when I started the business, I just sort of like arbitrarily made up pricing. Uh, my first wedding, I charged $1,000 and I uh, charged $250 per session. So my first booking ever, she did wedding day um, with like however many hours I guess I was going to be there. It wasn't like an hourly thing. And then I did bridals and engagements, which bridals is kind of a Southern thing. Um, mm. It's technically like pre-bridals where the bride dresses in her wedding dress in advance yep. of the wedding mm-hmm. to trial run everything. Not every state does that, but we do yeah, it a lot in here. Louisiana. 
But that's interesting that it's... Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, it, That's interesting that you point that out, though, that it's not necessarily as common in some of the northern or maybe western mm-hmm. states as well. Huh, okay. Yes, it's really not. And like for my clients that come in from out of state, because New Orleans is a huge destination city, they don't really schedule bridals as often. But yes, like 100% my people that live down here, they definitely do uh, bridals. But yeah, so in the beginning, just kind of made up a price, (laughs) you know, trial and error. Um, As that supply and demand increased for the business, like as I started to get my name out there a little bit more, I just slowly increased the pricing, but really didn't have a strategy or a system even, I felt like I was guessing. And I think that's what a lot of photographers are doing. They're just guessing. And they're also looking at what other people are doing. And then they're just charging less, which is also not a good approach because you don't want to just look at someone else's prices and charge less. You don't know why they're charging that. You don't really know fully and truly like their business model. And so pricing is actually really personal in a lot of ways. I mean, yes, you want to talk to your competitors and like create conversations about the market. But I think at the end of the day, you have to have pricing based on your personal situation and where you are with the business and like what type of business you want to create. Yeah, that's wow. I mean, it is such a loaded topic. And I know today, even with this you know, hour or so that we have, we're not going to cover even all the content. I know that you did a presentation at, at the conference we recently connected at at Show United. Um, and there was, you were showing me the presentation. There's so much wonderful content in there. We don't even have time to get into all of that. Thank but when you. you talk about the, um, the, the notion of charging less than, you, you see plenty mm-hmm. of companies, not just in the photography industry, do this. And you make an interesting point, which is that we shouldn't just do that by default. It, a lot of photographers assume, for example, that they, because they have X amount of experience, then they should naturally price themselves underneath you know, the next photographer. Um, mm-hmm. But that that in and of itself is a bit short-sighted. And it also mm-hmm. doesn't represent intention, which is I know what we're part of what we're going to get to. And I, I mm-hmm. think there are some companies who are thinking about big picture. They will undercut, attempt to undercut the market for one reason or another. Most photographers, when they start out low, I know I started out at, I think it was $350 for my first wedding. And like you said, it was a very arbitrary choice. It, it was just kind of like a guess almost. And I'll, I guess I'll just do this. And um, eventually we raised the prices, but it, there was a lot of guesswork involved. There was n- no intention really there. And that's where we need to get is intentionality. If we understand why it is we're doing what we're doing, then that confusion mm-hmm. and the fear goes away. We're able to make those decisions confidently and move forward. And, and so that's kind of where we want to try to get to today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and so let's, let's maybe just before we get into some of the bigger ideas that you think should drive uh, this, this effort at pricing a little bit more effectively for the business, what enabled you to gain the kind of clarity that you needed for your business and ultimately has brought you to a place where you can teach other photographers about it? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So many years of doing this really and truly no one taught me how to price, which is a little scary when you're teaching other people because this is kind of like a self-developed method that I've come into, but it wasn't just made up over time, you know, overnight. It was made up over time where I mean, at this point, I think I've photographed over 500 weddings. I've been doing this for about 12 years. And I'm finally in a place with the business that I'm, you know, profitable. Um, I feel like I'm serving my clients well. They're happy. I'm happy. And so that's kind of where I knew I was in a good place to help other people. Because I hear them say, like, well, I'm not making enough money to feed my, you know, pay my bills and feed my family, or I'm going to have to go back to getting a full-time job. Um, or my clients, 
or, you know, I'm, I'm doing too much for not enough money right. or whatever the case may be that you hear. And then also, you know, you want your clients to be happy too. And sometimes when you're not priced appropriately, your clients can feel like they're being underserved. And so, um, just over time, I kind of grew and understood what that looked like and tried different things. I've tried so many different approaches. Like I've done a la carte pricing where I have just one offering. Um, I've tried a tier system, which that's what I'm in now. And, um, you kind of just look at the overall big picture and figure out what's working or that's what I did. And so now I'm in a place of like, maybe this isn't what I'll be doing in 10 years, but like right now and for the past several years, I feel like it's, it's done really well. So that's why I enjoy speaking about that topic with other people. Well, so you've gotten to a place where financially and you're in a good spot. And like you said, you're able to serve mm-hmm. your clients well. So you've got your head above water and now you can kind of look at what you're doing probably a little bit more or at least more comfortably, more proactively as well. And I think mm-hmm. with that perspective, we're going to be able to bring some some key ideas to our listeners today. So let's get into those. Uh, I'm going to ask mm-hmm. a very loaded question and then just kind of let you take it away because I know you've got, I, I think you told me four ideas before we get started, big ideas that drive mm-hmm. this conversation around pricing. What big ideas um, would you recommend that our listeners pay attention to when they're trying to more intentionally price their services to their potential clients? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first thing I wanted to talk about just before I even talk about any strategies or specifics is just why pricing is so important. I think the inclination that pricing affects profit is really what we go to in our brains. Like, oh, well, if you if you price better, then you'll make more money. And like that is true. But also your pricing affects so many different aspects of your business. So I think when I say that, I mean, for example, your pricing affects your workload. So if you're not pricing yourself appropriately, um, whether you're just starting out or you're five years in or 10 years in, that can impact how much work you're doing. If you're year one, you know, the understanding that you're going to hear a lot of photographers say is like, you're not charging enough. Well, if you've only shot one wedding on your own, and you're not getting any other inquiries, like you're probably charging too much because you don't have the portfolio yet to back up the pricing. Um, Or you need to do more marketing as well. But ultimately your pricing can impact your workflow, excuse me, your workload, because maybe you're not charging enough or maybe you're charging too much. And so there is that balance there. Um, It also affects your referrals and your clientele. I think when you are a beginner photographer charging beginning prices, you're probably going to get like a certain type of referral. And as your business grows, you can serve a different client and then those types of referrals will come in. And and it's really important to shoot um, and price based on where you are. If I would have accepted, priced myself and accepted a wedding with a million dollar budget five years ago, I might not have been able to handle that wedding you know like we might not have had the team to serve the gears to serve the understanding of what you need to photograph three dresses and you know an x dollar floral budget and you know what I mean like it takes a certain type of level of experience and that pricing says something to your clients about where you are and so um that's another way that it can impact your business. And then, of course, the obvious, which would be the profitability, that if you're you know, charging too much or charging too little, 
that you're not going to be able to sustain the business. And the, the mm. thing that makes me the most sad is whenever I'm working with someone from like a mentoring aspect and they're just burnout and they're doing well, like their business is doing well, their images are great and they're just burnt out. And I'm like, you have to raise your prices because if you're not able to say no verbally to people or if your calendar can't say no, then like then having higher prices is a way to say no without having to say no, because you can, you know, not everyone will be able to afford that price point and then you sort of can scale in that way. Okay. So that would be the first thing. And I appreciate you kind of bringing that context. It is important to consider why this even matters before you spend the time and Mm -hmm. effort to make some change. So I I really appreciate that actually. And and I want to ask you one question before we get to Mm -hmm. the strategy, the, the four big ideas, you mentioned something in passing, about the portfolio and how the portfolio or the quality of the portfolio relates to pricing. I have a hunch, and, and maybe this is just a hunch or a theory or even a, a preference on my part, but I, that that there is, an, at least in some cases, a bit too much weight put on port, you know, X portfolio equals I can charge this much or more, but until I get to this portfolio, I can't charge this much. I think it kind of misses the way that the market looks at our work and why they're willing to pay what they're willing to pay. But that's that's a simple version of my take on it. I'm curious to get your take on it from your experience and your perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I definitely think you have to consider the market and like your specific market, where you live, what's the cost of living there. Um, I mean, even if you're if you're living in one market and serving a different market, that also could impact the pricing. Um, sure, you know, for I, a I while I was spe- living more specifically though, as it relates to, mm-hmm. I mean, certainly market will affect it, but portfolio, if we're looking at somebody's portfolio, mm-hmm. maybe a better way to approach this is when I think about somebody's portfolio, you know, you could have a hundred different photographers in a room and they look at say 10 different pictures and there's going to be mm-hmm. call it a thousand different opinions on the set of pictures because everybody has a different perspective and that's just photographers. Mm-hmm. Now you go outside the photographers and you look at the consumer who doesn't have the perspective, the understanding, the nuance associated with photography that photographers do. And now the perspectives grow even further. The opinions about whether something looks good or whether it doesn't grows mm-hmm. even more. So to that point, I'm just, I'm wondering if you think that there is at times too much weight put on the quote unquote quality of a portfolio, which at the end of the day is, is largely subjective anyway, as it relates to pricing, where, where do you think the balance is between that putting, you know, putting an importance on portfolio, but then looking at pricing separately from a portfolio and more at the objective components, which is how many hours a week that I want to put in, in order to run the business, who is my target market? What market am I working on? And some of these more objective pieces, what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts? Uh, I do actually think the portfolio is really important. Um, and what, like what's led you to that perspective? I think that my personal portfolio led me to that objective because when I look back on my work from a year ago, you know, two years ago, three years ago, 12 years ago, like there is a big difference really. And I think that if the client is doing the research and really looking at a full gallery and that person's experience level, then I think that's when the dollar amount is reflected in the pricing. And so I, I really do think the portfolio is super important okay. um, in terms of what people are charging. Because I, I think to be fair to the client, like, yes, it's about the experience. Yes, it's about the market. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, the product that they're receiving in their hands is going to be their their images. It's true. Yeah, it's true. I, I just think I, I know that, you know, for example, as a photographer and an editing company owner, 
I have snapshots and you can't quite see it on frame, but the, the refrigerator that's in, I'm pointing the wrong direction. Anyway, in back of me, there's a refrigerator. There's a bunch of snapshots <laughs> on the refrigerator. And I refer to this occasionally here on the podcast, but I, th I think it makes an interesting point, which is that I am in love with the pictures on that refrigerator, which by the way, were selfies taken on a phone that might in some cases be blurry, not color corrected. It doesn't matter to me. And I own an editing mm -hmm. company and I was a photographer for over a decade. I shot hundreds of weddings and I have a super like OCD critical eye. It still doesn't matter to me. Those pictures are amazing to me. And mm -hmm. I just find that interesting because I think the reality is if, if a photographer and an editing company owner like myself can enjoy a picture like that so much, what does that say mm -hmm. then about a consumer who has not even close to the perspective and the attention to detail that I have? And yet we put mm -hmm. so much weight and importance on the portfolio and make a determination about how much we can charge based on our experience and our portfolio. When the reality is that many of our clients just simply aren't looking at the imagery the same way that we do. And by the way, this isn't a conversation about compromising quality. I think that we should strive to continue to be better technically. I don't want to minimize mm -hmm. that. But I just wonder when it comes to this conversation about pricing, if we might clear up a little bit of confusion, if we take away something that is so subjective as a portfolio, and focus more on the things that are objective in nature. Some of them have already been mentioned. Um, that's just a question mm -hmm. mark. I, I don't have an absolute answer to yeah. it. And I was just curious to get well, your I, take on it. I think, okay, so I know we need to get back to those objective things, but I do want to actually say one more thing to that. Please. Um, I actually do agree with you. Uh, when I say the portfolio is important, I'm not even really talking about gear because, or like lighting. I mean, yes, that is important for sure. But okay. you're right. The client doesn't know. Like I shot film and spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for a very long time. And now I'm to the point where like when um, I present an image, my gear set is like so close to the type of images and quality that I created with the film that they may not even like really know. Okay. Right, right. But whenever I say the portfolio matters, I mean, not just like the edit and the you know that but also like how present are you kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation like sure. how comfortable is the client are you capturing moments that matter mm. or, or, or are you getting hung up on the landscape or this location like the end of the day you're you're so right my favorite picture from our wedding day was Brad and I exiting and we were so excited and you could yeah. see our friends in the background cheering and like that image could have been like taken with an iPhone probably. Right. Um, but the photographer's job is to be there to be that person, to be attentive and make it beautiful in the process. But yeah, like when I say portfolio, I mean like, what are you capturing? Like what story okay. are you telling? How present are you? So yes. I, and, and you love that selfie because of how it makes you feel. Exactly. And you love that selfie because of like the memory around it. And so like as wedding, it's a little harder with portraits. I'm not going to lie. Cause you're doing a lot of posing and staging, but like with weddings, that's why I love weddings so much is cause there's so many like real things that are happening. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. No, I appreciate your perspective. Yeah. I, we had to go there because I think it's a really important element yeah. of this conversation around pricing. But let's get to those four so ideas important. here with a few minutes okay. that we have. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, actually the first point that I did want to talk about was why pricing was important. So the second thing that I want to talk about is essentially like your base price. And um, your base price is the fundamental start of your pricing. I think that's where you need to begin. Like step one is going to be figure out your financial situation, how much money you need to make to pay your bills. 
if your uh, significant other pays 100% of your bills, then like you can charge essentially whatever you want. You just have to make that number up in your head and go from that. If you're responsible for 100% of your bills, then you need to know what those bills are and like what you need to make to make this business sustainable. So that's like step one is knowing that number and like your individual personal financial situation because if you're not paying your bills, it's a hobby and you have to get another job. And my goal is to help people do this for a living. Like I wanted to do this for a living full time. I didn't want to be an architect. This is what I want other people to experience as well. That's what they want to do. And then the second part of that is going to be that you essentially figure out what your personal um, workload is. Like if you can shoot 50 weddings a year, which I've been there, I think I did 56 one year. Well, then your pricing is more like volume and you can charge less because you're going to be shooting more weddings. You take that top number that like, goal number divided by the number of weddings that you're shooting and then you have your base price now that I've been doing this for 12 years my base price has gone up because I'm shooting less weddings my lifestyle has changed I want to shoot less weddings I want to serve those few clients better Mm -hmm. I want to be able to spend more time and create products for them on the back end and so that's like your first thing is to make that base price so if you want to make $75,000 and you want to shoot 15 weddings your base price is 5,000 that's sort of like the math that I'm talking about with that base price does that make sense no it makes sense but I, I just I wish somebody when I was 21 or 22 and I first started shooting had come along and just explained that basic concept to me that's business 101 Mm -hmm. right and but I didn't go to business school and I had absolutely mm-hmm. no context whatsoever. I just decided to start a photography business kind of on a whim, uh, which is funny looking back. But nonetheless, did somebody come around, come around and just said very simply or gave me that equation? I would have been a whole different place, at, you know, mm-hmm. even just in a couple of years because I would be doing it based on a clear. And again, these are objective concepts, right? How much do I need mm-hmm. to make to pay the bills? And let's add a little bit in to put it in a savings for, for the long run, hopefully as well. Um, but then how much, what, what is the workload that I can handle? And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll throw this little thing out and it's a conversation of itself. So we don't have to go down this rabbit trail, but you mentioned continuing to up your prices so you can shoot less over time. I did the exact same thing. 350, the first wedding got to where we could charge even as much as $10,000 a wedding in a small market like mm-hmm. Chattanooga too. And that was cool because yes, I could shoot less, but by the way, there's still this massive segment of the market. And I want to encourage everybody listening to think about this. There's a massive segment of the market that can't afford 10,000, 8,000, 5,000, in some cases, maybe even $3,000 for a wedding photographer. And so for those of you that do have the ability to take on a bigger workload, maybe you're single and you just want to put the the work and the time in and you can shoot 60, 70, 80 weddings, 100 weddings a year. Maybe you want to build a team and do that. Do that because there's an opportunity to do Mm -hmm. that too. Not everybody needs to go to the less is more kind of business approach. There is opportunity in the other realm as well. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. And I've loved my clients at every stage of my business. I mean, some of my clients in the very beginning are still like, my favorites, you know what I mean? Like as of this point and then some that I'm meeting now, it, it's, you know, there's so many myths about the quote type of client that you're going to get at this stage and this stage. And I can tell you there's wonderful people at every stage. Um, and so, yeah, to your point, just like know your own personal situation. Um, and so the second kind of, you know, stage of setting up your pricing, creating your pricing is deciding what 
like arrangement you're going to offer to your clients. Before I even say that, I want to just say that sometimes at the higher end mark, if there's a wedding planner, you may not ever have the opportunity to present your full pricing guide to a client. You're creating just like a proposal of one price. But even that price for my business is based off of my full pricing guide. My mathematical equation of prices in this tier system that I create a custom offering out of. In the tier system that I have, I found that versus one package, one like a la carte offering, having a tier system with multiple preset offerings has been really great because it's incentivized the client to spend more to save more money. So the higher they go up in that tier system, the more they spend, the more they also save. And um, I like to kind of give the analogy of like Apple, like the Apple store. You're never going to go in the Apple store and they're like, oh, here's the one computer that we offer. It's going to be like, well, here's the one computer that we offer. But if you get this and this and this and you bundle it together, Mm -hmm. then you can get all that for just a little bit more. And so that's kind of like the mindset that I went into when I created my pricing and it has worked so well. And I've done the a la carte system where I have like one offering and they can add on to it. But I found that my... Um, average spend has gone up substantially since moving into that. And also I feel like I'm serving the clients better because I'm creating product for them now a lot more albums and books and things that they can like tangibly keep that they absolutely love. And because they're spending more, I'm shooting less and then I have more time to create those things for them. And so it's all, it all kind of goes together, but you know, in terms of the actual tiers, I would say for a photographer that's putting together their pricing, and I feel like we don't even, I, I feel like already like I'm going to run out of time thinking about all the things <laughs> I want to say, but you can tell I'm getting excited. I get like really excited to talk about pricing. <laughs> that's great. But, but basically, um, in your top offering, um, that should include every single thing that you can offer to a client, every product, every service, everything that you can offer. I can't, I can't believe how many times I see a top offering from a photographer and I'm like, well, this isn't even everything you can offer them. Like if there's a client that wants to come in and pay top dollar for every service and product that you can provide, you should give them that option because they they exist. And sometimes people just want the best, right? They just want like the top package because that's what they can afford and that's what they want. And so by listing all those things out, whether you're photo or video, you can create an opportunity for you to make more money and for your clients to have like the Mac daddy of photo offerings. So when you're putting together your pricing, you know, have your base price attached to your base offering, which is the minimum amount of work that you're going to do for a client. And then you're going to have those you know, that base offering lead up to a top tier, which includes everything that you can offer. And as far as your base offering goes, one thing that you really want to remember is that you don't want to ever, especially if you're a wedding photographer, if somebody reaches out or let me speak about myself, I don't want to ever go underneath my base offering on a Saturday because there's only so many Saturdays that I'm shooting and I have to meet my minimum. So that's kind of how I think about my base offering. Like it's seven hours, always a second shooter, an online gallery, and either the high resolution digital files or a book, like a proof book for them. And so like that's my minimum offering. I won't shoot for less than seven hours because I don't feel like I can deliver a really strong gallery. And also I just, 
feel like that's that's like what I would feel like that's a minimum I would feel good offering for someone if they're having an elopement on a Saturday then I'm not going to be able to take that wedding because it doesn't meet my base now if they want to pay the base price I'll go shoot for three hours but most people don't want to do that (laughs) and so um and then in between you have like your tiers leading up to your top tier which is every offering that you have um so a few things that I want to say about that is that when you're structuring, I have four offerings, four preset offerings. I think minimum you should have three. A lot of times when people are making a decision, they don't want the less ex- least expensive option, but maybe they don't want the top most expensive option. So they tend to kind of fall in the middle. That's just like a mindset buying strategy. And so most of my clients fall in the middle. Sometimes they'll buy the smallest or the biggest, but like oftentimes it's in this, it's sort of in the middle. But when I'm structuring those offerings, I want to always put something in that next tier up that will incentivize them to move up. So if I feel like that first offering is seven hours and just like wedding day, my next offering might include an engagement session and an upgraded book, like a flush mount album, because I feel like that's really popular. And then the next one might include the wedding day images and a book and the rehearsal dinner. So like you want the client to always be like looking at the next offering so that they're deciding what is important to them, what they value, and then they know if they spend a little more, they can save. And so um, I want to talk about that too, if that's okay, Nathan. And and please let me know how much, how much time do we have um, on the podcast? There's no official cutoff time. So feel free to continue and and we'll make sure that we cover the basics here. Okay. Um, So... I think the part that gets really confusing a lot of times for photographers is like, okay, maybe they understand the concept of a base price. Maybe they understand that they need packages or offerings. I call them offerings. Um, And maybe they even get the tier system and they have it structured, but they're like, okay, great. But I don't know how to price them. What I do is I start with that base price that base offering, and then everything outside of that base offering, I attach a price to. So like every single item on my a la carte menu, a bridal session, an engagement session, a flush mount album, a display book, any of those things, it has a price. And that price is based on if it's a product, the cost of the product and the amount of time that it takes for me to put it together And you should always be charging at least two and a half to three times of what that product cost is because you have access to that vendor. You're taking time to put that together for the client. Um, And it's going to be professional quality. Plus, you have to make money. You don't want to be losing money on your products. That's if the client is going to go and put the product together themselves, then they can pay at cost prices. But if you're going to be doing that for them, You need to be profitable. Like when have we ever walked into like a furniture store and they're like, oh, well, we bought this sofa for 600, but you can have it for like $625, like never, (laughs) you know, we have to think about our businesses so that it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Even with prints, like we have to be profitable. Otherwise we're just going to be in the red and clients understand that because they want our businesses to be sustainable. They want our help and they want our access to these products. And so that's how I price out my products. And as far as my services go, um, that's partially like market rate. Um, and then partially based on my hourly pay. So like however many hours it takes to shoot a session or a wedding, I create an hourly around that. And you have to keep in mind that 
If you're shooting an eight-hour wedding day, that's not eight hours worth of work. I can tell you from experience, it's like minimum 40 hours of work to do an eight-hour wedding day. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a two-hour engagement session, that's minimum six to eight hours of work. And so you have to think if your hourly is, you know, if you want your hourly to be, say, I don't know. Everyone's a little different. I hate to give exact prices, but my point is that you have to take those hours and multiply it times your desired hourly rate. Um, and then you and do, do you have a suggested approach to determining that hourly rate so that again, it's not an arbitrary process for people? Um, yeah, I think, I think that I, I mean, think I ultimately I, people probably know what they want to make per hour. I, I don't know. Maybe my hourly desired pay was much less when I first started because I was like, I really just want a portfolio build. Um, um, so it's not a very simple level. Then, I guess we could start with a with that that amount that we were talking about establishing earlier, the amount that we need to make in a year to pay the bills, to put a bit of money in. Yes. And then break that down into the number of weeks and then how many hours we want to work in a week. And we can kind of land on that hourly rate. And that's probably the most logical yes. way to go about it. 100% because, you know, all of, and I think photographers know this, like if you are shooting three sessions a week, that's, that's a pretty full schedule. Cause you still have to correspond with clients and, and edit. And, you know, even if you're outsourcing your editing, like you have to build in time to run the business. And so, yeah, like, I think it depends on how much time you can actually dedicate to those things and then how much you need to make per month. So yes, I do think you're absolutely right there, Nathan, that it, it is, it isn't an arbitrary number. It's really based on like your personal situation. Yeah. Personal situation. And I guess goals and, and well needs, and then ultimately our goals as well. Um, when you talk mm -hmm. about an, a tiered system and then the a la carte mm -hmm. items, Mm -hmm. Are we talking with a tiered system about I mean, what you described sounded to me like what I used to call a package. Are we talking about packages or do you differentiate between a tier and a package? Yes. Tiered system is exactly what you're saying, Nathan. It's basically packages that grow in terms of what's offered in them. In They grow in size and they grow in price. And the third or fourth, I guess, um, main like bullet for me is that I have um, I call them like tier percentages. So if someone spends X number of dollars, then they receive a 10% off discount on the a la carte items. If they spent, so, so, so for example, say your base is $5,000 and they add $1,200 of a la carte. Once you price out your a la carte items, they will receive 10% off of the $1,200. So a good rule of thumb is like, you never discount your base price in my packages because that's the minimum. So that's how I remember, like if I ever get confused and I want to discount everything, it's like, no, 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 I'm just discounting the a la carte items. And the client never sees this, by the way. Like this is all done on the back end mm. and then they just see the final prices. So like nowhere on the pricing guide, nowhere in their proposal do they see like, oh, you save this much if you spend this much. They'll see a discount, but it's not like on the initial pricing guide. I want to say that because I get that question often. But basically, do you rely you know, if on they're your, spending... your a la carte, sorry to interrupt, but do you rely on your a la no. carte items um, as part of your minimum income that you want to make each year? Or are you planning that, that budget based just on your packages that you sell? Just on the minimum. Okay. So like if, if every client that I serve books my base offering, that's okay. 
because I calculated that price in the very beginning based on my finances, based on how many weddings I shot and I got that base price. So if I book, as long as I book that number, then I'm great. Anything that they add on is profit. And I'm like, great. You want to add an album? Perfect. You want to add a bridal session? Great. But that's just extra money. I love it. I just want to make sure my, my bills are covered. I, and you so know, honestly, as, I, honestly, Catherine, I think if, if most of our listeners today just walked away with that principle as a baseline for the way that they price their services, which is I need to make X amount in a year and mm-hmm. based on my needs and my goals. And in order mm-hmm. to do that, I'm going to price my baseline offering in order to, and, and then shoot enough, you know, multiply that times mm-hmm. however many sessions or events that I'm going to shoot a year in order to make my goal. And then everything else is gravy. That's a, that's a brilliant model. Now it's, it's simplistic and I realize different people can, can approach, approach this differently. But if, if somebody's looking, they're just like, they, I don't even know where to start. That would be a really great place to start and ultimately to build a business, yes. obviously. Um, but I, I think that's really, I tend to like simple principles. And I think a lot of times in life and in business, simple principles can do a lot of the heavy lifting for us. And mm-hmm. if, if I had learned what you just said, again, way early in my career, when I was in my early 20s, I had absolutely no clue which end was up. If somebody come along to me and said, hey, price price this way, it would have been incredible to, to have had that as a kind of a guidepost, at least to get started, mm-hmm. would have been great. So for our listeners, key in on that idea because that was really huge. But you were talking about establishing tier percentages and what you're talking about there is discount percentages based on what it is that they're buying, what package they're buying. Yes. And I know I always get a little nervous like talking about this part because I think it it can be overwhelming. Like to your point, if you just take away that, that base idea, that is awesome. Um, I will say really quickly too, that I have created like a pricing mini course for anyone who's listening in that wants to maybe like go a little bit deeper and it's on that cat G education website. So they can do that. Because I feel like nervous sometimes I'm like, Oh my gosh, I know this starts getting a little confusing. Um, like to talk about, but, but it's really not. And that's really why I wanted to share this method because anytime somebody would ask for a custom quote, like say they saw the packages and they'd be like, well, I only want this. I want this package, but I don't want the bridal session. I didn't want to tell people, no, you have to get one of the packages. I I wanted to be flexible. And so with the tier system, it's really just for them to get an idea but on the back end, I'm always going back to that base price. I'm adding up the a la carte items. And depending on how much they spend, I'm discounting them based on that number. So, you know, if they spend like hypothetically, say, you're, say your pricing starts at 5000 and they spend like 6000 they'll save 10% on their a la carte items. You know, say they're spending 8000 they'll save 15% on their a la carte items, 10000 20% on the a la carte items and then so on and so forth. You know, you have these tiers set up so that it always helps you give back to the client for spending more. It's like incentivizing them. They're getting something back in their pocket. If they spend more, they save more. And then also it gave me a mathematical equation to come back to so that sure. I wasn't ever scared for the client to ask for a custom offering. I would say, oh yeah, like you don't want package, but you want this one minus this. Go back to that mathematical equation, calculate the amount, do the discount, and then put together an invoice in Dubsado. Like it was so, it just became so easy for me. And then mm. over the years, I just increased the base price. My a la carte pricing really hasn't changed for a long time. I just increased the base a little bit. 
And, and yet again, I'll go back to it. Cause I, I'm kind of stuck on this principle you shared earlier because you've established that baseline and you know, you're making your, your budget from that baseline mm -hmm. package. You have the flexibility as well to give these discounts and know that you're still making money. You're still walking yes. away with a healthy profit margin despite giving those discounts. Um, and mm -hmm. you're able to apply that to your, your top line. So I think that's, I think that's really great. Again, it's a really big concept, especially for new photographers who maybe just don't quite know which direction to go with pricing. It's a great place to start. But you also highlight something, and maybe we'll kind of finish with this because I know that we could easily spend two, three, four hours on this topic um, at minimum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you highlight something, which is that you, you do offer more education in here. And, and um, what you've already brought to our listeners' attention today is valuable, um, but I would certainly love to give them the opportunity to learn more um, through some of the education that you offer. So um, I, for those of you listening in, again, if you go to katherinegidry.com, uh, Catherine, am I sending them to the right place? Click on education yeah. and then resources. Is mm -hmm. that right? Resources or the four photographers page, either one um, on the four photographers page, it actually put everything that we talked about just around the base price in a pricing guide. So like you can read through what we just talked about in written form with the equations Brilliant. in the, the free pricing guide. So, um, yeah, they can definitely find that there. But, yeah, I, I think most importantly, my goal with pricing and what I want people to hear is that these numbers aren't arbitrary. They are based on facts and information about your business and your workload and your market and all of these things that can create a consistent price. Um, I heard a photographer at a workshop recently tell someone like, well, if the planner, you know, reaches out, you can just sort of like get the client's budget and kind of like make up a proposal. And I think that's really not good information to, for someone to be hearing because your clients may know each other, you know, they're probably friends. They're probably running in the same circles. Like you want to have a consistent formula that you're coming back to so that if one client is best friends with another, their price ranges are all based on the same information and in, in pricing. Well, yeah, it, it helps minimize confusion. I think for the sake of the photographer too, we have so many different things to juggle. So if we're now having to making make up numbers on the spot, <laughs> um, I can imagine how that could create some confusion. And, and also if word gets around that we're pricing different things or different ways to different clients, I know that that can put a bad taste oh. in people's mouth as well. So just establishing yes. a healthy baseline is, is a really great place to go. And again, to your, to your point, establishing that baseline intentionally um, with, our, with our needs and our goals in mind, um, instead of this kind of arbitrary, let me pull this number out of air based on looking at five different other photographers, you know, prices in my market. Um, it, it, pricing with intention is, is super, super important and certainly another key takeaway for today. I, I really appreciate you making time to, to get into this. And I know that I kind of forced the issue and, and limited your time here to, to about an hour, but um, certainly for those listening in, if you're not streaming live with us, you may not have seen, but I'm going to jump back over really quickly. If you go to Catherine gedry.com c-a-t-h-e-r-i-n-e-g-u-i-d-r-y.com and then go to education and for photographers you'll see a link there on that page we'll link to this page in the show notes at bocapodcast.com but there's a link there to gain access to the pricing and um, you can take advantage of that there Catherine, i i really do appreciate this we're going to link to uh, both your instagram Catherine gedry and then also katherinegidry.com, your website in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Thank you for sharing your perspective on pricing today. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, thank you. And thank you for putting this together, Nathan. This is wonderful for photographers to be able to have this resource from you um, to connect with other photographers and learn from them. I don't know that I had anything like this whenever I started my business. Mm. And so I think this is really, really great. Well, thank you. I, I, I think we've got a pretty good resource here, but it, 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 again, it makes it, it what makes it possible are people like yourselves, photographers like yourselves who are willing to come and, and share with us. So thank you again for everybody Aww, listening. In. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Um, for those of you that, that listened, but didn't comment, didn't ask questions, shame on you. Join the conversation <laughs> next time. <laughs> you lurkers in the background. Um, no, but all, all seriousness, for those of you listening to these and watching these live streams, do join the conversation. For those of you listening to the audio version, come hang out with us, youtube.com slash Boca Podcast for future episodes. Everybody have an absolutely wonderful day. Thanks again, Catherine. Thank you.